Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the Redeemed and Restored podcast. We're all be coming to you every Friday so that together we can intentionally discover the faithfulness of God, which is my absolute favorite thing to do. Every week, I'll bring you encouragement to see God working all things together for good. From scriptures to devotional excerpts to song lyrics to personal examples from my journey through redemption and restoration. Joining this community on a regular basis, where it's okay to be real and throw off our masks of perfection, will not only encourage you, but will motivate and stir your hearts and just possibly leave you forever changed. In times like this, we all need to be encouraged as we face the challenges, difficulties, and losses of this life. So I look forward to growing right along with you in authenticity and transparency as we endeavor to find the faithfulness of God in our everyday lives. So take a moment to write a review on Apple so even more people are able to find the encouragement you're about to hear. Each episode is broadcast on my YouTube channel before it's converted and brought to you in this audio format. If you'd like to get in on the fun and giveaways at my YouTube home, join me over there at Athena Dean Holtz for even more encouragement. So hey, let's get started. Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the Redeemed and Restored podcast, where we connect every Friday so that together we can intentionally discover the faithfulness of God. So today's episode is the first in our new season where we're transitioning over to a weekly interview with author friends of mine who have amazing stories of redemption and restoration. Those whose lives have been redeemed and restored by God in a way that encourages others to trust Him more and recognize His faithfulness more clearly. My very first guest for season two is Janet McHenry. She is a national speaker and the author of 24 books, including two bestsellers, Prayer Walk, which is published by Waterbrook Random House, and 50 Life Lessons for Grads, published by Worthy. A former high school English teacher, she and her rancher husband, Craig, raised four children in the Sierra Valley. The beautiful setting has inspired her to follow her passions, prayer walking, and writing. You can find out more about Janet through her website listed below in the information on the podcast. So I have filmed the intro to this week's broadcast at this amazing eclectic venue in Enumclaw, where we are spending a week at our very first She Writes For Him in-person writing retreat, where Janet McHenry is our teacher for the week. We've been having a blast writing and brainstorming and supporting each other on our writing journey. So take a moment to write a review on Apple so even more folks can find this podcast and be encouraged. Or you may even know someone who needs to hear this message. So please share the link with others. You may even want to visit my YouTube channel to see the video version of this interview and connect with the conversations happening over there. So just type into your browser, redeemedandrestored.tv, and you'll find the video broadcast there. So hey, let's get started. All right. Well, uh, we are here for the very first 
of the uh, episodes of Redeemed and Restored with our new format. And I am super excited to have Janet McHenry with us today. Welcome to the Redeemed and Restored broadcast. Thank you, Athena. Yeah. Super exciting. Yes. I just think back six years-ish or so <laughs> when I was at a... Um, the Northwest Christian Women's Retreat, and Janet was the keynote speaker. And we've been friends on Facebook. We've met each other at Mount Hermon. So we, you know, we knew each other, but I had never heard her story. And it is what a story of redemption and restoration. So <laughs> I am super excited that she can be the first one to come on and share that story with you all. So why don't we just start with like set up the scene because it's it's a pretty amazing thing that happened, but there's a lot of lot of hard stuff working up to it. There is. There's a lot. So I live in the Sierra Valley, which is about an hour north of Lake Tahoe. Picture Lake Tahoe, except without the water. <laughs> That's where we live. And I was a high school English teacher there, and my husband is a cattle rancher. He raises beef cattle. So living in the Sierra, as we do at 5,000 feet, you get a lot of snow. And in uh, the winter, early winter of 2001, there was a two-day blizzard that completely covered over six calves and an old bull who had bedded down together to shelter each other from the storm. They got covered over by snow and they were there a couple weeks. They'd all died. Craig didn't know about it. It was in a remote part of the ranch. And uh, he found out it because he got a knock on the door one day and there was a man there from the sheriff's department issuing a summons for his arrest. And he was charged with seven felony animal counts of cruelty. We just thought that this would be something we lived through. Uh, necropsies on the animal actually proved that there was 20 pounds of feed in one animal's stomach and a high level of colostrum in the other animal. So we know that the animals did not die of neglect. They simply got covered over in snow in a two-day blizzard. We just thought, again, we would just have to live through this. And it finally went to trial from December of 2001. It went to trial all the way into May of 2005. Whoa. So it was a long period of time in preparation. Um, we just were trying to count down the days, two-week trial, just live through it. And the problem was that the judge seemed to have it out for my husband from the get-go. And he harassed witnesses of the defense who were on the stand. And I know this personally because I was one of those witnesses. I had seen and was testifying about my, how my husband would bring baby calves home and, and, and take the towels and warm them up and keep them in the bathtub until it was warm enough. And my kids would joke with me, mom would say, mom, don't go in the bathroom. And I knew exactly what was there it was another little calf who was just trying to make it. Anybody who um, is in the farming or ranching business knows that if you have livestock, you have dead stock. It's just a matter of matter of fact. That's just life, right? It's just people live, people die, and so do livestock. Yes, they absolutely do, and a lot of it, it has nothing to do with anybody's neglect. So um, the judge would harass the witnesses, and I, so I'm trying to explain what my husband would do, and the judge interrupts me at one point and says, "Who do you think you are?" 
Virginia Woolf that you go on and on like this. He knew me to be an English teacher and a writer, so he knew that I knew Virginia Woolf was an um, 1800s writer who was a stream of consciousness kind of writer. So what he was doing was you know, insinuating that I was going on and rambling and I was just telling him a bunch of nonsense. He did that with every single defense witness. He would not allow my husband's auction records to be admitted into court. And the records would have shown that Craig got really good prices for his beef when he took him to auction. And the worst part was that he uh, would not allow the testimony of Dr. John Moss, who was the chief beef cattle expert. He wrote the textbook on uh, how to treat cattle at UC Davis Veterinary School. That man had never agreed to testify in a trial in his entire life, but he felt so strongly about my husband's case that he came and he was not being paid to testify. He just wanted to see the right thing done. So things uh, did so not go judge, well. So the judge would not let him testify. He would not let him testify. Wow. The chief witness, it was like, you, you kind of saved your last big punch to the end. Right. And Craig got to court and found out that, that his witness was not gonna be able to testify. So um, I remember uh, a kind of a, a very alarming scene, the last day of the trial when the jury is out and we're waiting for them to come back and we're sitting outside the courtroom and the jurors are walking down the hall towards us with disgusted looks on, on their faces. Hmm. And I got this sinking feeling in my gut. Oh my gosh, how could this possibly be true? And sure enough, they convicted mm -hmm. uh, my husband, Craig, on a six animal felony counts of animal abuse. So this is not a simple lawsuit. Some people will say, well, I've had a little lawsuit too with my neighbor and it must be like that. I'm like, no, this is like, you can go to prison for, my husband could have gone to prison for as many as three years. You know, he could have had extensive fines. He could have had all his cattle taken away from him. Cause in theory, if he's not doing the right thing, he shouldn't be a rancher, right? Right. Well, so then we had about two months between the time of the, the trial and the sentencing. I didn't do so well with that. You know, I got super mad at my husband that he could somehow have allowed this to happen, which was an irrational idea that he allowed it. He didn't allow it to happen. It was just what I call, you know, a case of injustice. So, and I was also angry. I was angry at those 12 jurors because we had been planted in that community for a long time. We were respected people. Uh, you know, he had, he himself had done volunteer work in the community. He had served as a county supervisor. And so I, I just like, why God, why would you have allowed this to happen? You know, even the chief juror was the son of a woman that I prayer walked with. So you waited four years to get to trial. Right. So that was hanging over your head for four years. And you would have had to think knowing that you're, you're in that he's innocent that god would come in and save the day and right. everything would be okay right and it wasn't it wasn't you had to be angry with god mm -hmm. over that i yeah i was not a happy camper you know and the and the fact that you know another one of the jurors was a woman who substituted in my classes and another juror was the business manager of the school district and we're talking very small communities so 40 entire teachers in the whole school district i knew her well and had bought her crafts at craft fairs, <laughs> things like that. 
you know, so um, it was it was a sincere struggle of faith at that time. Not bad. And I even tried to open my Bible and, and just look for God's encouragement, God's word of some kind to help me get through. And it was just like a gray, just like gray mass there almost. I, I just, I couldn't focus on anything. I did pick up um, L.B. Kalman's devotional book, Streams in the Desert. Oh, my all-time favorite. favorite. When you're suffering, you yes. can't, it doesn't get any better than Streams in the Desert. I had I had tried to pick up that devotional before, but just nothing resonated with me or whatever. And um, But every single word in that spoke to me. And I began underlining things, underlining things, underlining things in there, writing annotations. And in fact, uh, when we were heading to the courtroom the day of the actual sentencing a couple months later, I took that with me and I just read those scriptures and those encouragements and pieces of poetry out loud to my husband. And I just saw him just like, whew, it just, it just settled in and peace was beginning to settle over him. And as he walked into that courtroom, um, I saw a, a different man and we were very encouraged when we got to the courtroom. We went in at the last minute to find that the court was entirely filled with friends, a couple family members, uh, six pastors, you know, local citizens who had, you know, some significant weight in the community. And so uh, we were encouraged by that and it unsettled the judge. We could tell his demeanor was completely different. He wasn't arrogant. He didn't try to control things. He didn't try to, he didn't have any kind of sarcastic remarks at all. And so the result of the sentencing was that he got four years of probation, my husband, and he, and a, and a $40,000 fine, which we didn't have that money. We still had to pay attorney's fees. And so Craig had to sell out a lot of his cattle. He could have gotten, you know, three years in prison. He could have had um, all his cattle taken away. Um, as it was at that time, he was working on his PhD program at the University of Nevada, Reno in political science with the hope of teaching at the college level, just as a, maybe an adjunct professor or something like that. But this man, he couldn't teach. He couldn't practice law. He, he couldn't leave the state, couldn't yes. leave the state. And we, we uh, worshiped at a church in Reno, Nevada. So that meant, that, you know, every week, at least we were crossing over, over a state line. So we, we had to get uh, permission to do that. One of the oddest feelings we had one day was when, with his first meeting with the probation officer, and I had to do that. And my husband actually owns the business that's rented by the probation department, so we walk into the we walk into this meeting. You can't make this stuff up. No, <laughs> it's insane. We walk in and the woman comes up. She goes, "Oh, Craig, you know, we just can't get this light to work. And could you, could you think you'd be able to come down and fix it and check it with, for us?" And I'm just like in this weird zone. This is could this really be happening? You know, respect a member of the community to be uh, have to go through this situation. So. So time passes and uh, we fire the attorney. <laughs> uh, and because my husband himself actually was an attorney, he had his own law practice for about 15 years and I worked for him for about 10, um, we prepared the appeal. And we took that appeal to, uh, it was filed with the California Court of Appeals. It took a long time to get the transcripts from the actual trial. So we'd have that to work on. 
So uh, we he filed the appeal. We went down together and filed that. And uh, it took until January of 2007. So this is like almost two years later, waiting for a judgment on that. We went to that appeals hearing. Craig only was given about 10 minutes to make any kind of statement. So that kind of unsettled us for a while. We weren't sure about exactly how it was going to go. So then he, he makes his statement, you know, su- you know, uh, summarizes the su- succinct arguments, the best arguments that he can do. It. And then we wait for a pause and then hear from first appellate judge. And he says, well, he, that he's read through everything and he notes the highlights of our appeal and said that significant, there were significant problems with it, but the worst was that the chief witness was not allowed to testify. Mm. And so we were like, wow, somebody actually read the evidence. The district attorney never even interviewed any of the defense witnesses, which is really criminal, Mm. really criminal. I mean, because their objective is not for conviction. Their objection should be, their, their object should be for justice. Right, right. Not conviction. They should they'd be always seeking justice, and he didn't even attempt to uh, seek justice in the matter. So, and the second judge said the same thing. The second judge said basically the same thing, and they overturned the case. So uh, we got the final paperwork on that in May of 2007. So it was, you know, a significant amount of time um, in the beginning to the end with, you know, a lot of hardship in between. Um but then there was another thing going on underneath all of this. Absolutely. Tell us, as we wrap the last five minutes of this up, tell us the prayer that God answered in that whole thing. Well, for years, you may have imagined, I had been praying, God, save my marriage. God, save save my marriage. And um, change my husband. Isn't that how we always pray? Change my husband. <laughs> They're the Lord. problem. <laughs> They're the problem. So the day of the sentencing, after the sentencing, we walked outside the courtroom and in a parking lot, there was my husband with all his guy friends around him and the pastors. And, and there I am with another circle around me, uh, all the my lady friends and so forth. And he, Craig is like, he, he's I don't know. He doesn't seem depressed. I think he see, he felt like, okay, so this is what it is now. And and uh, my mom said, you know, your says your husband Craig he could run for mayor and win because he seemed to have a popular following. The newspapers before then had been filled and filled every single two weeks with letters from the editor supporting him. And then another friend said, Janet, look at your husband do you she says his demeanor in the courtroom was incredible he had such peace of god over him and he seemed so composed and just trusting that everything is going to work out she goes i've i've never seen him like this have you noticed a change in him and i i really at that moment i looked over him and i thought my husband has a change through this this husband I was so mad at, so angry at, resentful of, for sort of allowing this to happen to us, became a changed man through the situation. Mm. And I think part of it was he saw my commitment to him, to stick with him, to help him with this, to work through the actual appeal together and um, and, and, and all of that. I mean, you know, eventually working through the appeal. But 
there were significant changes. It was kind of a, it was the jump start of a complete change in our marriage. He started, he always called me dear, which like, I just thought it was just a term, but he started calling me beautiful and oh. um, just, you know, lovely one and things like that. And um, I think he began to see me differently and I began to see him differently. That just makes me weepy. <laughs> I mean, weepy, I joyous weep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love so, that. So here you are a bunch of years later and um, God certainly redeemed that whole horrible situation in our life. Could I say that I'd want to go through that again? No. <laughs> Let us learn it some other way, Lord, like through your word. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, through happy times or whatever. But there certainly was redemption of that whole experience um, because of how we came together. We worked together. We began to understand and, and appreciate one another. Um, for the rest of our lives. So. Yeah. Well, I think I've heard somewhere that adversity faced together yeah. creates a bond that yeah. is not the norm. It really bonds two people together when they go through something hard. Yeah. And you did that and God used that. Yeah. I mean, this was one of, this was a great Romans 8:28 story of how God worked all things, even yes. that horrible injustice, everything that was just, it couldn't be more wrong, that final sentencing. Yeah. And, but God used that for good because you love him yeah. and are called according to his purposes, both of you. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So, whoo, that was powerful. Yeah. So what scripture would you share with those who are watching who are maybe... They've been redeemed, but feel like they're still not restored and really need to hold on to something. I have to cling always to Jeremiah 29, 11, which is probably familiar to you people here. Um, for I know, I know the plans I have for your life, mm -hmm. plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah. And um, during that time, you know, all those many years, like well, what my why questions, my why questions, my why questions. God had a hope and a future for us. So, and part of that is enjoying a whole bunch of wonderful grandchildren together. <laughs> Yay. So, and he's still farming and yes. earth, uh, cattle ranching. Yes. Is that the correct term? Yes. So he is still in that business yes. and you have been vindicated. Yes. And the community now sees, you know, I mean, but you had to live under that for how many years? Six, five and a half years. Wow. Five and a half years. And, it, you know, I, you know, with some situations like that, legal cases, uh, there will always be snarky people, you know, who will say, oh, he really was guilty. He got off, you know, or something like that. There'll be those kinds of people, but they're going to be snarky about anything. They can probably find anything they want to make judgment on you. So it is kind of hard. It's hard to live down kind of live those things down but you choose to look up when you're when you're trying to live down those past situations of your life and to just be able to you know Jesus never he was misunderstood and he didn't say a word and that's right. a hard thing right to do but God you know he made it all right in the yeah. end and and brought truth and justice into the situation and yeah wow 
What a story. <laughs> Woo, what a great one to start off our new season of Redeemed and Restored and our new format. Mm -hmm. So Janet, thank you so much for being You're with welcome. us today. Thank you. Yes. And uh, we will see you all next week. Same time, same place. <laughs> Bye for now. So thanks for joining us today on the Redeemed and Restored podcast, brought to you by Athena Dean Holtz and the Romans 828 Bookstore, a division of Redemption Press. I'd love to have you review and share this podcast with friends, family, and others who could use the encouragement. And be sure to check out my YouTube channel at Athena Dean Holtz for more tips and tools to help you find the faithfulness of God. So thanks for joining us today. See you next week for another episode of Redeemed and Restored.